successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show with me, your host, Jason Grill, here on 980 AM KMBZ, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher via podcast. And appreciate you listening today on GrillNationShow.com. It's going to be a fun show here today. I'm very excited about it uh, as we enter, uh, get into the month of October. We're continuing to have great shows. I hope you've enjoyed the last few months of shows, and this one will be no different. Uh, I want to thank our uh, partner and supporter of the Grill Nation Show title sponsors, one of which will be joining me here in a second. Uh, they are Trust, MoBank, BOK Financial, and Two West Advisors, and Ryan Rink. Some of my guest hosts and on-air contributors are the Rieger and Jay Rieger and Co., uh, Ryan Maybe, One Light Luxury Apartments, and Reactor Design Studios, and Clifton Alexander. I mentioned uh, one of our title sponsors joins us each and every month, MoBank, BOK Financial, and Michael Viazzoli, the president and CEO, uh, is with me here today. And uh, welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Love being here. It's uh, great to have you. Every month we do this, and uh, this show today will be real exciting. Uh, we are going to have on Tyler Knopberg, who is the... Chairman and CEO of U.S. Engineering. The website is usengineering.com. You might have seen uh, their sign uh, or one of their vans driving around Kansas City, but it's a company that's uh, been around, a fifth-generation company since the uh, late 1800s here in the Kansas City area, which is pretty important, pretty amazing that uh, it's still going strong and over close to 1,200 employees, I believe. So tell us about them a little bit, Michael, how you know Tyler and uh, what we're going to talk about today. Well, I think I think what you'll find out is, one, Tyler's just a solid person. I think you're really going to enjoy just meeting him. Two, I think you're going to be really kind of uh, shocked, maybe, the size and scope of the organization, their impact and, and the influence. And then um, just talking about what Tyler and the company are doing to kind of help promote the city and build the city. It, it's really understated, um, um, but it's a, it's a really neat story. Mm-hmm. And Tyler has an interesting background. He... Uh you know, this is a family business, I guess you would say, throughout the years. Uh, he's He lived in D.C. for a while. We'll get into that. Was in policy and, and kind of did some work uh, with financial work, actually, uh, when he was in D.C. as well. Uh, but we studied over abroad in London and England and, um, you know, has done a lot of different things and came back to Kansas City from Kansas City. His wife's from Kansas City originally. They live here now. And he just seems to me to be a very good uh business leader and also a uh, entrepreneur he has an entrepreneurial aspects to him as well well i think there's some softer skills that he brings to kind of all of those things that kind of help him make be so as effective as he is mm-hmm. so we'll uh, we'll have tyler on the show here after the break uh i've met him a few years ago actually uh but i'm excited to connect with him again and uh talk to him he seems to have his pulse on what's going on here in kansas city and you know uh some of you might have seen that Meyer Circle Fountain uh, getting refixed up here again, and I think he's involved in that. I'll have some funny stories to share about that today as well. I want to mention you can connect with the show at GrillNationShow.com and also at uh, on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. Appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and, and 
sharing the show via social media each and every week and, and appreciate it. What, what you guys are doing to help the show grow, uh, and all the kind comments, uh, very much appreciated. Michael, uh, Mo Bank, BOK Financial, uh, website is mobank.com. Um, besides having the, we're, we're, we're taping the show, but it's airing on Saturday. Besides having Columbus Day off, uh, I needed, a, I needed to talk to someone, but, uh, <laughs> I, one of my passwords, uh, I could not figure it out for the life of me, but, uh, you guys are growing like crazy and uh, doing a lot of great things here in Kansas City. And, uh, I know you're a busy man. We talk to you each and every month with it, with a thought leader, but any news you want to report to us about BOK Financial or a MoBank? Uh, I know things are moving fast and furious as always. Well, at a, at a national level, um, a big bank level, um, things seem to be going very well. Um, a lot of people would have assumed that with the energy challenges over the last couple of years, the challenges that uh, just the regions in Texas and Oklahoma have faced, that um, an organization that's concentrated in those areas might be impacted by that. And we've, I, I think you you can say we have been a little bit, but I think people are generally going to be surprised at kind of how strong and the overall portfolio of the company is, such that we'll continue to see strength in that. And then locally, it has just been um, a hell of a lot of fun um, this year in terms of kind of bringing the Legacy Bank Kansas City business, Legacy Missouri Bank business together to what we're calling today as MoBank. Um, fun, you know, earlier in the year, it was a little struggle with our integration issues and we tripped all of ourselves. Um, but kind of where I think about where we are now is engaged our folks are, the excitement around the business, the good things that we continue to be doing for our um, kind of our whole client base. Um, and in as much as that's been fun, the impact we continue to make in the business. We got a United Way campaign kicking off. Uh, uh, I was part of a group to help raise money for this new Picasso exhibit that's coming to town. Oh, really? uh, we've got people. Uh, Tyler's going to mention uh, a nonprofit that he's involved in. One of our senior leaders is uh, on that board with him. Um, we just got our. We got a lot of really neat things going on in the community. So that feels that feels right. It feels part of who our city is and certainly who we as an organization are. Mm-hmm. And uh, MoBank.com is the website. For more information, you'll recognize the orange yes. that I see all over town these days. Very distinctive. <laughs> I love it. It is so different. You know, I, I actually think I'm going to go by the uh, actual bank at some point. I've been I've been using too much mobile technology that y'all's offers, but I'm, I'm thinking I need to stop through that cost, Crossroads location again sometime soon and see everyone down well, there. Well, the terminology is omnichannel. Right. What okay. I, it's 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 all these different ways that we can connect with our with our clients and our clients can connect with us um, and and the mobile activity is whatever form that is is help for transactions but it, I've never felt that's a way to build relationships and build relationships you need the personal person that personal person interaction mm-hmm. and that could be done a lot of different ways as well one thing I forgot to mention was um, every first Friday down the crossroads uh, at our branch, uh, we have some activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, last Friday, we had our annual rock, paper, scissors competition. Okay. And it was awesome. For all the concerns we had early in the day about the rain, uh, our stage was up. Our big bracket was up there. We had our host got, uh, that was managing kind of the one, two, three. We had beer flowing. We had uh, pizza from uh, up down next door. Uh, and it was just it was just great. You know what's atmosphere. funny is too. You never know with those first Fridays in October, right? Yeah. If it and it turned out to be a very warm and was it a good first Fridays then? It was a little slow because of Columbus Day. Okay. Probably had people kind of leaving early for. It seemed light. Yeah. Um. 
Back to just up and down from, the crossroads. from Chicago that were in town, uh, and they loved it. They, they they moved downtown Kansas City. Yeah. They've been here for for a while, but they'd never done a first Fridays, and they loved it. Um, oh, the whole cool. atmosphere is so unique. Yeah, I always try to to figure out which is the busiest first Fridays. It usually is like early early summer, maybe late spring. When when everybody comes out of hibernation, <laughs> everybody's <laughs> excited to be walking up and down that street. Such a great location there for you guys. Just such a great oh, that's location. perfect, but you know, but it's you, you help true for that. that and it's yeah. a cool cool bank, it really and it's is. true to that community in the same way that Prairie Village Ranch is there, Brookside, obviously in over the park and East Summit as well. So those physical branches meet, and then we Hello have folks welcome in back to four or five Grill Nation. I'm your host Jason so Grill. We, Thanks for listening today on 980 Greg KMBZ, or, as well as Grill Nation today. Michael Bizzoli will be joining me for the whole show as well as Tyler Knappberg, who's the CEO and chairman of the Radio Engineering Company. If you like our show, please give us five stars and retweet it, share it, whatever you do on social media. I greatly appreciate it. Tyler will be very happy to have on one of our Thanks for being here today, Michael. We'll be right back show. We have the Grill Nation each and every month. Okay, great, great. Uh, well, our guest today is uh, Tyler Notberg, who's the chairman and CEO of U.S. Engineering. And uh, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Okay, so how do you guys know each other? Let's let's start that because. It's a small town, and uh, we we've I think we cross paths in two or three different places. And certainly, Tyler's very active in uh, in uh, social services and different civic events, and then a couple of business associations that we're involved in together. And thankfully, we also have a a good business relationship too, so it's nice. That is good. Um, well, Tyler, let's learn a little bit about you. Uh, then we'll get into kind of U.S. engineering in the company. Uh, I know it's been around for quite a long time. Tell us about your background and kind of how you. I know you worked in the uh, policy area for a while in D.C. and did a lot of different things throughout the United States and I believe the world. So I'd love to talk about that first, and we'll get into kind of what brought you back to Kansas City. So sure, sure. Well, I grew up in Kansas City and uh, grew up uh, loving all of the things about Kansas City, including the the Kansas City Royals and mm-hmm. uh, everything that uh, we got to experience back in the 1980s as I was growing up here. But then I went to school in Vermont uh, to a college called Middlebury. How'd you end up um, there? That's that's an interesting move. I was really interested in languages, okay. and uh, Middlebury's very well known for its language program. Had a has a, a strong political science program, international relations, and those were a lot of the things that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, do you like it up there? Oh, I've I, actually I've never it. been to the state of Vermont, so that's why I ask everyone that goes to the to either Maine or Vermont always rave about those. those oh, two you, states. you you love it. Uh, um, it's beautiful. Uh, there's a lot of snow on the ground for long periods of time, so that's the way that you just have to live life up there. There were there were certainly days during the winter when you would look out across campus and all you would see was the little uh, um, hats from you know people bobbing through all of the different snow pathways that had to be made. So, mm. uh, but you know, at, at the same time, if you love skiing, if you love the outdoors, it's just a beautiful place to be. Mm-hmm. So you you went there, and then you did you after that you. So, so well, yeah. So I was fortunate. I uh, I had uh, uh, won a scholarship called the Casby Scholarship, and uh, it allowed me to go study at Oxford mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years. Uh, and so I did that. So uh, lived over in England for a couple of years. Uh, my, I, I think uh, that's a that uh, Michael. You might agree or disagree, but I think studying abroad or, or, or doing something abroad when you're in your in that age is 
is huge. Oh, it's I, I think for a world it's phenomenal. View, yeah, if you have that opportunity, uh, I know you guys both have kids. I think around yeah. the ages that what years are in, in college, right? I have a couple in yeah, college, yeah, and so, yeah. So hopefully you're promoting that, right, Michael? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> and just kind of my family and heritage and growing up, my parents are both Swiss and. I mean, lived overseas and worked overseas. I it's critical to to do that. Yeah, and so you enjoyed that experience. I Tyler. loved it. Uh, my uh, my wife, my fiance at the time, uh, she came over with me as well. So it allowed oh, wow. us to experience that together, and we got to, you know, do a lot of traveling and and uh, also to be in just such a beautiful place and form some great friendships. But mm-hmm. uh, as you all were just saying, you know, you get uh, your perspective opened up even more just in terms of what possibilities look like and different people, problems, opportunities, solutions, all the kinds of inputs that I think you need to kind of broaden your your worldview. Mm-hmm. So uh, you didn't stay over there. You came back. Yeah, no, my, uh, uh, my wife got a job working as an occupational therapist in Washington, D.C., and I had gotten a job working uh, for Susan Eisenhower at a place called the Eisenhower Institute. And I had previously done an internship for Senator Richard Luger up on the Hill mm-hmm. uh, between my sophomore and junior year at college. So – I had fallen in in love with the experience in Washington D.C., so it was a great fit for us. So mm-hmm. uh, we ended up living there for about six years. Oh, you did? Okay. Uh, wow. and so you really so, did uh, catch the bug there, I guess. Six oh, years yeah. is a long time in D.C. Yeah, we did. You're either I, there for a few years, or you're there for like. Your rest I heard of your six life. years was kind of like the max. If you're there more than six <laughs> years, you're trapped. It's you know it's a very transient place, but uh, at the same time, I mean it's it's filled with a lot of different cultures. Uh, international, uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you have a strong focus obviously on politics while you're there, but, uh, there's also a very, very rich arts scene. Uh, there's a, a great deal of entrepreneurialism that's kind of sprouted up obviously in Northern Virginia. You had a lot of tech companies that were mm-hmm. uh, invested in being there and, and whether those companies were there for policy purposes or not, it still kind of created a, a nice kind of technology sector. They have so. a lot of, a lot of cranes in there in DC, right? Oh yeah. Now. Yeah. And, you know, absolutely. and, uh, uh Downtown baseball now, or I guess not downtown, but city baseball, the, the Nationals are in a good spot. They're redeveloping that whole area. I mean, yeah. there is a lot of development, good restaurants. It's it's a it's a fun city, irrespective of where you are on the political spectrum. It's uh, There's stuff to do there. So that's cool. So six years there. and Yeah. Well, and the, the other thing was, even though it is a transient city, we actually were living there during 9-11. So we mm. got to experience mm. uh, what the... Uh, what the community did to kind of come together in the wake of that in a way that I think it's very difficult to see Washington as a, a community-based right. uh, city in the same way, say, a Kansas City is. But that really changed uh, in in 2001, and so uh, we got to experience what that whole uh, um, uh, process was like from a, a rebuilding standpoint and, and everything that went on. So uh, yeah. that was, that was uh, very influential, too. That's cool. And so um, at that point, did you come back to Kansas City or did you work in New York for a while, I might have read? Or? So I had uh, actually gotten a job uh, after working uh, at the Eisenhower Institute for an organization called Gerson Lehrman Group, mm-hmm. which was a startup that was based out of New York. And a, a friend of mine from uh, Oxford who had started working there uh, had uh, talked with me about potentially helping them open up a Washington, D.C. office mm. uh, that focused on research for uh, hedge funds and mutual funds based out of New York uh, that uh, that that really focused on legislative affairs type issues, and so I got to travel back and forth between New York and Kansas City uh, on a, on a regular basis and 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 work with that team as they kind of built the company up and and so that was exciting to be part of a startup, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of enthusiasm, sort of a new way of approaching research, really trying to leverage technology and and to kind of see what uh, um, you know. Uh, 
that they they were doing was was you know, just fascinating. So that is cool, and I I love obviously you guys know I love public affairs and policy and whatnot. So you can combine that with a startup. I feel like that's the that's a great ticket right there. Yeah, it, you know, it was really neat. Uh, and then at the time, so my wife and I had had our uh, first child, Maggie. Uh, she'd been born in Virginia. And uh, we were thinking about, you know, what we wanted in terms of what our future was. And uh, a lot of the roads for Gerson Lehrman Group were leading back to New York City at some point. And uh, that was something that was interesting to us. But at the same time, uh, both of us were originally from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And so... I think in the back of both of our minds, uh, maybe we were always thinking at some point maybe we would move back to Kansas City. Uh, it didn't seem like there was sort of an obvious path, but at the same time, uh, there was an opportunity that existed with U.S. engineering that my dad had put in place many years ago uh, when he had uh, um, uh, been diagnosed with cancer and started planning uh, what was going to happen to U.S. engineering because he'd been the fourth generation leader of U.S. engineering and... Um, he didn't know whether I was going to be interested in getting involved one day or my sister was going to be involved one day. So uh, when he was diagnosed with, with cancer, he sort of put a management succession plan in place. But it actually provided an opportunity for me or my sister to come back and get involved one day if we chose to do so. So this opportunity was out there, but I'd never really worked in the construction industry and hadn't really considered it seriously. But uh, some transitions that were going on at U.S. Engineering uh, that were taking place at the same time that Lee and I were considering maybe moving back to Kansas City, being closer to our families, and, you know, we, we had Maggie. Uh, uh, all of those things came together, so uh, we moved back to Kansas City, and I got involved in U.S. Engineering. Okay. And what, what year was that? How, how long have you been back? So, so that was uh, 2005. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, we got about two minutes left in this segment. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the history of U.S. Engineering, and then the next segment – but let's get into kind of the current day and all the things that are going on over there and, and what you're all doing in the Kansas City community. But talk to us a little bit about the history. You mentioned fifth generation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So my great-great-grandfather, Gustav, started the company over in Germany back in 1855, but it was a metalworking company. And he and his wife, Margaret, Maggie, uh, brought <laughs> uh, themselves and their three sons to the United States, specifically here to Kansas City, uh, in 1889 and hung a shingle in 1893. So started the same metalworking company in Kansas City in 1893. But then as things evolved, uh, they went with technology and sort of turned the company into a mechanical construction company. So focusing on installing plumbing systems and then as technology made it possible to do more indoor refrigeration or air conditioning, uh, Freon became a very popular refrigerant. Uh, more and more buildings had uh, you know, conditioned spaces. So they evolved in this mechanical contracting company. And it sort of, it stayed in the family, uh, through various generations and iterations up, up through my dad when, uh, uh, he, he passed away in 1997. So about 20 years ago. Uh, and so that's, that's the point in time where, where things kind of passed out of the family for the first time ever ownership did, uh, uh, until, until, uh, Lee and I came back and got involved. So. Mm. It's pretty interesting, Michael, isn't it? That this company started in Germany, huh? Yeah. And it, they located in Kansas City in uh, 1887, you said, or 89? Well, they so, moved over in 89, but opened up in 93. 93. But, I mean, you'll, I mean, you probably, if you, you know, look it up, you see there was a very large sort of European and German migration yeah. to the United States right. in the late 19th century for yeah. a whole variety of reasons. And they actually followed some friends who had moved here, uh, actually, to Topeka, but then they never made it past Kansas City. And, you know, hey. It's funny how that happens. Three, and three days back. of trail ride to Topeka. They don't want to go that far. <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned um, 
Uh, we, got, we got to go to break here soon. Uh, I was just going to say with technology at, at that point in time is a very different definition of change in technology as we talk about it today. I would think technology would have been just, you know, different ways of transmitting energy or electricity or transporting water, I would think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think technology in a lot of ways becomes shorthand for any kind of disruptive change that takes place. Fair. So, you know, you can, you can call it what you want, but yep. uh, it certainly had an influence. Yeah. We'll be right back on Grill Nation. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show with Jason Grill, 980 AM KMBZ. Appreciate you joining us again today and all those listening on iTunes and Stitcher via podcast. Appreciate you listening as well. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show, as well as find all of our uh, guest information, old shows, and photos of our guests at GrillNationShow.com. We're talking to Tyler Notberg, who's the CEO of U.S. Engineering, Chairman and CEO of U.S. Engineering, and Michael Viazzoli, who's the President and CEO of MoBank and BOK Financial, a uh, great supporter and partner with the show. Uh, Michael, I wanted to turn it over to you. Uh, we're going to learn more about uh, U.S. Engineering and all different types of things that they're doing, as well as their uh, culture, and talk more about the business aspects here. I wanted you uh, to lead that off for us today. Sure. With well, um, you mentioned earlier U.S. Engineering. We see the logo everywhere, and we see the impact everywhere. But what, what's the best way to describe what you do and kind of size and scope of the company? So uh, we're a mechanical contractor, uh, and what that generally means is that uh, if you walk into a building uh, and you look around and you see all the great things that go into building that building, a lot of our stuff ends up behind the walls unless you walk into the bathrooms where our stuff ends up being front and center. So – what we do is we install plumbing, piping, and HVAC systems. So we literally have people who help manage the design, help manage all of the energy solutions associated with the design, actually uh, install the system. So literally having people installing welded carbon steel pipe or soldering copper or putting up sheet metal. Uh, and then at the end of the day, uh, we end up usually hopefully maintaining those systems and helping owners manage what that energy looks like on the back end so that at the uh, uh, at the end of the building's life cycle, you're able to look back and say, hey, you know, we really reduced whatever the total cost of owning those systems were because a lot of the systems that we end up installing and managing and helping owners manage uh, are the most dynamic, uh, energy-sucking systems mm-hmm. and, and expensive aspects of of what, what, what a building actually um, costs. Yeah. So... Haven't I seen you also do infrastructure projects as well, though? Oh yeah, I mean we have done uh, we've done a number of infrastructure projects, and it could be kind of small infrastructure projects. Uh, but you know, one of the the higher profile ones uh, locally here was the the uh, new uh, Meyer Circle uh, renovated Meyer Circle Fountain. Yeah. Uh, but you know, drive by it all the time. Dri- drive by all the time. We had our we had our uh, big sign up there at one point, but really it was mostly all of my friends calling asking when they were going to be able to access the westbound uh, lanes, uh, uh, rather than hey, the fountain looks great. <laughs> so wait, wait, yeah. what? Just real briefly, that fountain has been off for a while, right? It was, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, well, I mean, there was a lot that needed to be done, and it's sort of a good example like, of deferred maintenance. Yeah, so. I feel like that <laughs> fountain and the uh, Western Auto sign need to be turned back on. The Western Auto sign downtown has been off for a couple of years, and I always think to myself, well, a bunch of people should just 
get together and start paying for that. It's well, such a well, good iconic. And, and, it, and that's really what happened. And mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, there was a community effort to help pay for uh, turning that fountain back on. And what was interesting was we did turn it back on the other day and begin sort of testing it. And again, I had some friends who had kind of texted me and said, you know, I drove by and it was on and there was some red lights on. And I was thinking about the Chiefs and I was thinking about Kansas City and I got a little tear in my eye. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that really is one of the things that's emblematic of what our city is about, which is kind of rallying around some of these kind of community efforts. And it, and it doesn't have to be a fountain. It could be something that's, you know, people might consider more substantial, like a community effort, you know, downtown or, you know, uh, east of the city or, or right. wherever it is. But it, it's something that sort of brings people together. You mentioned uh, you had no experience in any of this when you took over, None. or you went you went None. inside. Uh, so you worked in the business, obviously, for a while before you became the CEO, correct? I did. At, when I came back and joined U.S. Engineering, everybody knew, obviously, I was a member of the Notberg family. Mm-hmm. And so part of the plan was for uh, uh, my wife and I to uh, come back and and really repurchase a controlling interest in the in the company, which was uh, which was a, a big leap for us. But it was also a big leap for this institution that had more than just Notberg family members associated with it. We've got multiple generations of other families that feel just as much ownership for the mm-hmm. organization. So uh, when you kind of look at all of those different people who are invested in what the company has been and, and where the company is likely to go in the future – they spent a lot of time teaching me this is what's important about being at U.S. Engineering, not just the technical aspects of it, but really the culture of what the organization represents to, to them, to those families, to the, the people who have worked there for, for multiple generations who are not members of the Notberg family. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting listening to you when you talk about how you describe the company and kind of what your charge is and what you hope to do longer term with the companies, with your clients, and also the thing about culture and trying to get everybody's input on everything. That's a very different tone than I would expect from a person who grew up in kind of a mechanical contracting company. I suspect your not having been involved early in your career with the company has kind of helped you have that different outsider perspective on things. Well, I think I've been able to bring both. I've been able to bring uh, whatever pressure you feel in terms of being a steward of this great institution on a go-forward basis is also mixed with the idea that, hey, because the company has been around so long, we have to inject entrepreneurial elements into the way the company behaves. And some of that, or a lot of that, actually has to do with generally what kinds of people you want within the organization driving what that change is. I mean, uh, you know, if I had a dime for every single time someone says, just in the last few years, dot, 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 you know, technology is changing things and the economy is changing and we're feeling all of these external pressures. Uh, if you're going to deal with that, I think, as an organization, whether you're a startup or whether you're an organization that's been around for a long time, you have to sort of embrace what that dynamic is. Yeah. And I think culture ultimately ends up ha- playing a larger role in that than simply saying this is what our business strategy is or this is what our strategic plan is because it's the people who are going to actually drive that strategy forward. So, How many, how many people in the company? So overall, between all of our uh, offices, we've got about 1,200 people okay. in the office and in the field. Our headquarters is based here in Kansas City. We've got a large office out that's been out in uh, the Denver area for about 50 years, but we also have you know, some satellite offices all over the place. We're doing mm-hmm. a large project in Manhattan, Kansas right now, uh, and so we've established an office out there, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're doing work down in Oklahoma and southeast Missouri, so we're sort of all over the place. 1,200 employees, though. 
That's a lot of employees. And one of the things you mentioned in an article. Team I, members, not team employees. Members, team members. The uh, Business Journal wrote an article about you when you came back. And you, you, you talked about culture and work-life balance. And you said that they once heard a quote from someone that you really respect that said, you have to do your best to manage your family like a business to manage your business like a family. Talked about that. I thought that was interesting. I might I might tweet that that quote out today and just attribute it to uh, to myself. No, I'm kidding. We'll attribute it to, <laughs> That's perfect. to you. Perfect. Um, but tell us about that because I've never heard that before. Well, so uh, the the general sentiment behind that is that uh, when you're working with your family to try and do everything from scheduling school or activity events or uh, trying to figure out okay what what direction do we want to go with uh, a vacation or dealing with uh, planning the holidays. I think if you bring the the type of discipline to things like scheduling and being very intentional about, okay, you know, what's our family mission statement going to be? Then you begin to sort of craft this identity around your family and you, and you manage it in a way that is uh, uh, that, that, you know, helps everybody provide input on the direction that you're going. So there's a culture within your family uh, that you get to manage as well, uh, but it's something that's all part of the team. You know, uh, my wife, Lee, really drives a lot of that. Uh, and now that our kids are, are getting older too, I mean, they, they, they do as well. And so trying to figure out how do you have that input, uh, that's really important. And, and that all goes wrong when you start feeling sort of self-righteous about whatever your role is. And it, we always joke about the fact that, you know, hey, you may be CEO uh, at U.S. Engineering during the day, but you know it's it's really clear. Like when you look at my wife's signature line on her email, it says Chairman and CEO of the Nopperg family, and that's very real. <laughs> on the other hand, you know when you look at um, you know your organization, uh, a lot of the things that attract people to staying at a place where they're working is 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 the culture of the organization, and does it feel like a family? Do do you feel like you have people who respect what you do and who you respect as individuals uh, in the same way that you get all of that kind of goodwill from your family because you're family? Mm-hmm. And so if you're able to inject moments that feel like family-style moments into the way your business is functioning, then, then you can manage your business a little bit like a family as well. And granted, with 1,200 people – I can't go around and have family dinners with all 1,200 different people who are on the team. But uh, if you've got a culture that provides for those kinds of opportunities for individuals within the organization, other leaders who are really driving the business to do so, I feel like that's something that's you know uh, very important. And as we've grown as a business, that becomes different. You know, becomes difficult to maintain. Mm-hmm. What's a, a family style moment? Define what that. What does that look like? Or different examples of that. Well, I mean, it could be everything from making sure that uh, people on your team have time to go out or uh, cut out work to go uh, grab a beer or grab a coffee together mm-hmm. to um, getting everybody together to go uh, participate in a run, you know, yeah. um, a 10K, a charitable 10K or 5K or something along those lines. Um, Is there such thing as a 1K? Because I, <laughs> I would do that. Hey, we got the Kansas City Marathons coming up here in a few weeks, Michael. Is I'm, it? I'm doing the half. I couldn't right. commit to the full. I can pass out water. Have, they might have a 5K. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those types of things are important. But it's, it's also to communicate with your coworkers or your team outside of the office is good too. And it's also balance. it's in, and it's not even really also the big moments, right? It's those sort of spaces in between the most mundane moments where you just walk by someone's office or you've got you know, a group of people who just like to sit down and take an extra five minutes after a staff meeting and say, you know, how was your weekend? 
uh, and to provide time for those types of conversations because that, I think, really builds the fabric of what that uh, family relationship looks like. You all know, uh, we, you know, birthdays and holidays are great with your family, but it's really, you know, some of those moments where you're just kind of sitting around watching TV or you're just sitting there having stuff, dinner yeah. and what do you talk about? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Tyler Notberg is our guest CEO and chairman and CEO of U.S. Engineering. Michael Viazzoli is a partner and supporter of Grill Nation, Mo Bank, and BOK Financial also joining us. After the break, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Alliance for Childhood Education as well as talk about uh, Kansas City as a whole. You're listening to Grill Nation. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome back to the Grill Nation show and KMBZ 980 AM. Appreciate you joining us today on the show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Today's guests have been Tyler Knopberg, Chairman and CEO of U.S. Engineering, and Michael Viazzoli, uh, CEO and President of MoBank and BOK Financial. Great show so far, guys. I want to talk about uh, something you got involved with, Tyler, uh, a few years ago. That was the Alliance for Childhood Education that you founded. Tell us about that organization. Uh, so uh, the Alliance was uh, created with the idea that as business leaders, um, one of the issues that seems to be most important long-term or strategically for those of us who are um, uh, running businesses and even those of us, of us who are not running businesses is uh, education. What does the quality overall of the workforce look like long-term? And one of the things that we did is we compared it to, say, a third-world country where clean water is the single most important issue that you have to address before you can create any kind of dynamic economy. Well, here in the United States, fortunately, we don't have clean water as a primary issue to getting our economy functioning. Uh, So what's next? Well, education, Mm -hmm. to me, seems to be what our clean water issue is. And so ACE was created to get business leaders focused on what quality education looks like, what opportunities for high-quality education looks like. Uh, And when we originally started it, it was focused primarily on early childhood education Mm -hmm. and why business leaders need to become focused on these issues and and what it means in order to uh, address uh, what those workforce development issues look like in the future. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a nonprofit, nonpartisan coalition of business leaders committed to improving Kansas and Missouri's education systems. Um, what have you found so far? What is your what is your take so far on all the work you all have done and, and what we need to do to move forward? Well, the first thing that I would say is there are a lot of unbelievable providers who are out there, people who work all of the time trying to make sure that young individuals in the community have access to these opportunities. Uh, and so there are a lot of different efforts that are going on on both sides of the state line and, and well outside the borders of just Kansas City. But there are a lot of uh, ways that business could be more involved in that. So uh, when it comes to areas where business leaders need to be focusing their attention. It needs to be on understanding why is early childhood education something that people need to be focused on. Uh, Elected officials like to talk about being involved and supportive of early childhood education, but those aren't necessarily people who are going to vote for them because they're two- and Mm three-year-olds. So the question is, who is actually going to be kind of representing what the interests of those children are on a sustained basis that are not in the pressure cooker of an election cycle. 
And what that means is that the role the business community can play is in helping to connect legislators with providers uh, and the business community in order to try and develop a sort of cohesive approach to how this issue needs to be moved forward down the road. So uh, our president, Tori Peterson, uh, does a tremendous job uh, of working with a lot of those different coalitions, and our board does as well in terms of trying to build awareness about Okay, what are the what are the kind of the hot button topics that we need to be looking at right now? Mm-hmm. So, how do you deal with the the discussion topic, which is, I I, I think everybody would agree education is important. Kids are future, and you hear a lot of that, and and obviously a lot of people believe it as well. But that investment today takes a generation to kind of demonstrate that it's taking hold and make a difference. How do you get people to think about that long term of a perspective when you're talking about some kind of investment or change in policy or something like that? Well, so I think you can look at it in two ways. I think there are short-term benefits, and I think there are long-term benefits. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to use data to support both of them. So, for example, just take the very basic research on how, you know, almost 80 to 90% of the entire brain gets formed by the age of between three and five. Okay, so there's there's a factual data point. Isn't that an area where we would like to invest a lot of early dollars? Then there's the work that was done by James Heckman, who is Nobel Prize winning former head of the Federal Reserve up in Minnesota, who wrote a paper talking about how there's a seven to one payback on every dollar invested in early childhood education. And that payback has a triple net benefit of both giving people a quality education, preventing future social problems, and then also creating an economic benefit for the people who are actually providing that service. Mm-hmm. So you t- you start from there and you say, okay, well, if this investment means so much, how do you get the community behind those kinds of initiatives? And I think that uh, the short term, if you've got a system that's in place that's very attractive to businesses who, say, want to move to Kansas City or are thinking of starting a business in the Kansas City region, then they know that when those young people who are part of those businesses have children – that those children have a good place to go while mom and or dad uh, go off to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the immediate benefit is you actually are providing an opportunity for those parents to go work while their children are getting a high-quality education. So you've got that in the immediate short term. And that's attractive from a, from a talent attraction standpoint today. Okay. The long-term benefit absolutely comes from how those children will benefit over time you know, in terms of the the direction that they go, their educational trajectory. And it's not just about memorizing facts in kindergarten or preschool where the uh, the benefits of that uh, fade over time. It's about sustained attention throughout the entire spectrum of the education system, which is one of the reasons why ACE said, hey, you know, we don't want to just be focused on early childhood education. We need to understand how this impacts the direction that these children are going throughout the system, especially children who are highly disadvantaged from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, if I'm right, there's a statistic that something like uh, up to the age of five, you're kind of learning how to read, and then after that, you're reading how to learn. Yeah, well, there was a great initiative here in Kansas City, the Mayor's Reading Initiative, mm-hmm. where they talked about the fact that up until third grade, you learn how to read, and then from that point forward, you read in order to learn. And that's, yeah. that's absolutely true. You have to get them to the point in third grade where they're – able to read and, and At begin grade to level, right. Right, you know, yeah. read so that you can learn. So if you just keep backing it up, how do you get there? How do you get to kindergarten ready to 
you know, learn how to read. Yeah. Ace Invest is the website, correct? That's Aceinvest.org, right. Aceinvest.org, if you want to check that out, Alliance for Childhood Education. And uh, we're talking to Tyler Notberg, who's CEO and chairman of U.S. Engineering. The website for U.S. Engineering is just usengineering.com. Check it out. A couple minutes left here, Tyler. Uh, you moved back to Kansas City, it seems like, about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, what are your thoughts right now on, on what we're doing here as a city and what we could do better and what you think we're really doing well? I think there's a tremendous opportunity here in Kansas City to capitalize on uh, the trajectory that we have sort of uh, taken. I, I'll tell anyone who listens, I feel like Kansas City was on a very good trajectory in 2014, and it just inclined a little bit more when Sal Perez hit that double down the <laughs> third baseline uh, as, 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 as we watched uh, sure. the Royals kind of move on. I feel like we gained a little bit more of an identity uh, as a city, uh, and we gained a little bit of confidence as a city uh, and, and, and a region, quite frankly. Uh, and so I think that uh, all of the development that has gone on economically has been very positive for the city. I think, uh, you know, our investments in arts and culture are tremendous. I would say that one of the strengths of Kansas City overall is our philanthropy. So a lot of you know that the Greater Kansas City Community Foundation on a per capita basis is one of the most successful and important community foundations in all of the United States. And that's really a testament to, I think, the direction that that we're headed as a city and what our culture as a city sort of looks like, looks like. But, you know, we have real issues that we need to address as well. I mean, I think there are a lot of areas where we can continue to improve, you know, as a, as a city that, you know, uh, we have to keep sustained attention on. There's no silver bullet for, mm-hmm. I mean, every single one of those issues. Yeah, so. do a lot of different things. Yeah. Totally. Tyler Knopberg, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Michael Viazzoli, I appreciate you, uh, bringing Tyler on Glad the show. Glad it worked out. And, uh, great show today and i appreciate both your time and thanks for being here hey thanks for having me thank you we'll see you again next week on grill nation thanks for joining us